This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to the show. I guess today we're talking about Captain America, and and not that Captain America, a uh, different Captain America. We are talking about probably one of, if not the greatest athlete of all time, and uh, that is a man by the name of Jim Thorpe. Yes, uh, most definitely, uh, undisputably, probably the greatest athlete, in American athlete of all time. He ranks up there, and every single ranking that I read doing this research, he ranks up there with Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan oh, for Muhammad the greatest. Ali, athlete. Phelps, Jim yeah. Brown, yeah, they, they all were. They're all great at their individual sports, but if you want to look at like overall pure athleticism and impressive records, then it has to be Jim Thorpe. Just Jim the, Thorpe. The, the diversity of what how what the sports he was good at. He was exactly he was good at everything. I mean, I guess we should bring it up real quick before we kind of get into the, the show today. I mean, Jim Thorpe was a professional athlete, but I mean, talking like you, like you mentioned, right? He was a golden gold medalist, multiple gold medals um, in the Olympics for track and field. He was a professional football player and one of the founding members of the NFL. He was a professional baseball player and played for Major League Baseball. He also played professional basketball. Yeah, gold medals in track. Professional football, baseball, and basketball. I mean, you have your like, you know, Bo Jacksons and stuff, but like, not and not to this extent. I mean, this guy's two time All American. Yeah, every when you know, there's a list of any athletes, like you said before, greatest athletes in in their sport, he's always on the list. You know, he only made it to the Wheaties box in 2001. That was like a big deal. People were like, "Why did it take so long for?" you know, well, we'll, arguably the greatest athlete. And I think we'll talk about that today. I think we'll get into that and we'll get into how he was, you know, if he, if he was alive today, it'd be very different, obviously. Yeah. But uh, he wasn't, the one reason is because he was Native American, that heritage, that background really yeah. hindered him as far as like becoming the national icon. But people loved him regardless, even with that little scandal that we'll get to, which really wasn't a scandal. No, um, not it by really just It was really just Thorpe being honest, basically yeah. is what's... Uh, Heard him there. That's kind of what's sad, yeah, when I was reading this. So let's let's kind of get into it. So the yeah, plan for today is as follows. We'll talk about Jim Thorpe, the man um, from his childhood, kind of how he started. Um, and then we'll kind of get into his career of in multiple sports and discuss that. And we'll finish up with some of his legacy. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of sad because I, I think that a lot of people don't know about Jim Thorpe. So hopefully we could change some of that um, today. So uh, Jim Thorpe was, this is kind of disputed. He was born in, uh, again, disputed because <laughs> it's funny. He said he was born one year and then evidence points that he was born another year. But regardless, let's let's settle on May 1887, Seven, right? Uh, and he was born in Indian territory, which technically wasn't even a state yet. So essentially he was born in Oklahoma, but before Oklahoma was Oklahoma, right? It was still designated on U.S. maps in 1880s as Indian territory. Um, his birth name, Tom, Wa-Tau-Hok, which yep. means um, birth path. And he was basically following his father's tribal lineage. And he was a member of the Sock and Fox tribe. Um, yep. He also had French and Irish roots. So he's he's basically a example of an American, right? Because he's he's mm-hmm. that melting pot. He's, he's a whole bunch of things thrown in together. Yep. And, and I think uh, both his mom and dad were half Native American and, yeah. and yeah. Half, um, half white. Right. Yeah, and he lived on a farm with his uh, twin brother Charlie, 
And what they used to do, um, their father, who was a bootlegger and a horse breeder, and that was really important because um, that taught him how to hunt and break horses. That was like what he would do. He would go and capture horses and break them, not, you know, break them, break them, but like domesticate them. Yeah. And, um, as he got older, he, this is crazy when I read about this, he was so fast that he was able to chase down horses, runaway horses on foot. He could actually keep up with horses. That's how fast yeah. this guy was. I mean, I'm pretty sure, and we'll get to this later. I think his mile was like four minutes. Yeah, he was in the Olympics. Something like that. He was he was he was really fast. Because as a boy, he would apparently like sit for hours just watching the horses run. And that's how he would watch the mechanics. He would figure out like the, how they how they how their their stride, how their trot goes. And then he was basically able to like mimic that himself. And that's one reason why he was so fast. He said it's because he would spend hours every day just watching um watching horses. And he did a lot mm -hmm. of like horse um horse competitions and games with his uh with his father and stuff like that that's what they would do they would engage in these horse competitions where they would basically like, like tricks with the horses yep his brother actually in case anyone's wondering what happened to his twin brother and whether he was uh just as skilled you know athletic as, as jim um his brother actually passed away very young i think they were yeah, like a, a lot of his family passed away young yeah i think it was nine his brother charlie would passed away so again these guys are living um like i said sock and fox tribe they more or less live in this like weird at this weird time where the United States policies towards Native Americans has started leaning towards assimilation. And the United States government tried everything it could, at least at that point, before it kind of gave up, um, to assimilate Native Americans and to kind of distribute property and more or less like make them not necessarily remain on their reservations, but kind of become American farmers, per se. For better or for worse, uh, that obviously backfired later on. Um, it could be a podcast in itself. But Jim is sent to boarding school, right? For Native Americans. It's about 20 miles away from his home. And the school is designed, basically, again, it's designated for Native American children. And ages in that school range from like six to college. Like it's imagine like one college, like school campus for all these Native American children from the ages of six to like 20. And, right. And Thorpe, he hated school. He, he was, he was yeah. not fond of it. He liked being outdoors. And he used to run away from the school a lot. It was a 20 miles, like he said, from his house. And he would just run back home. He had no problem yeah. doing that 20 miles. He'd run back home and then his father would catch him and be like, all right, we got to go back. Because his father wanted him to be educated. He'd say, listen, you got to be yeah. educated. And he would do this a lot. He would just run home. Like, think how many kids like wouldn't 20 miles. Like, no, 20 I'm, miles. I'm yeah, not going. Yeah. He would just be like, I'm fine. I'm running home. And that's what he would do. Which is crazy. That. Um. So after uh, he he kind of so his father passes away when Jim's like around seventeen years old, and he enrolls in an Indian um, industrial school in Pennsylvania, right? Car, where is it? Car, Carlos, Carlos, uh, Carlos Lee Indian Industrial School in Pennsylvania. That's what it was, right? Yeah, he's going to be an uh, electrician. That was his guy. electrician. Yeah, he trained to be an electrician, and this is kind of where the story of Jim Thorpe starts off, this right? Was, yeah. So um, he's about seventeen years old, more or less, you know, maybe eighteen at this time. And he's walking by the track and field team, right? And they're practicing the high jump. And Jim is kind of, again, he's he's dressed in overalls, I'm pretty sure they said. He he's wasn't wearing, necessarily... he's wearing work clothes, yeah. And he asked yeah. if he could. He's like, can I give it a try? And he was, they said he had a leg build, but he was short. He's only about 5'8". Yep. And hey, I'm 5'9". Being... What are you trying to say, bro? Wait, and you would not be able to do the high jump, sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> see high jump? Anyway, the, the track I can't, even get, I can't even get up in the morning with my old knees. Who are you kidding? High the, jump, um, what? The track and field team look at him. They're kind of laughing. Right? They don't think he'll be able to do it. 
And um, so they raised a bar to the top, like five yeah. foot nine, which was, that was high a school record, school, higher than yeah. school record. And then Thorpe makes a jump on his very first try. And so all of them are just like, what? So again, it's almost out of like a movie. He's this guy just walking. He's like, oh, I can, can I try? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can try. And they make it, they make it higher. And in the first try, never doing it before in his life, he just jumps over yeah. it. So the next morning, right, the um, the football coach of the of the school and the track coach, um, Glenn Pop Warner, summons Thorpe right to his office, and Thorpe is like freaked out, like, "Oh crap, I got in trouble!" You know, he's a teenager, um, and he says, "You know, have I done anything wrong?" And uh, the coach says, "Son, you've only broken a school record in a high jump. That's all." And that kind of starts Thorpe as an athlete, right? Yeah, and when he goes on, he becomes the star of the track team the baseball yeah. team, the hockey team, the basketball team, the lacrosse, lacrosse. team. Yeah. And he was also um, known as a very good ballroom dancer. And also <laughs> football. He really makes a mark in football under that too. Also, they, they, I just named like every sport. He wasn't on Go the ahead. team. He was the star of the team. Yep. in every single one of those sports. Yeah, and they said that um, he actually won like a, like a state sectional for that school track team by winning every event. They said that he won that sectional like it's not like his team won he competed in every event on that track team and won every one of them it's like what this is insane well then he's he played two years under um pop one everyone knows like pop Warner leagues it's that guy that really you know um influential and bringing really making american football what it is but he played two years for football and he played halfback he was a place kicker he was a punter and a defender and this is college right this, this is college, college. Yeah. And when he was there, his team only lost two games. Yep. I mean, both seasons, he was named an All-American. And the big thing about that is that back then, the NCAA, which was only a few years old, they didn't really keep track of stats the way they do today. So because of that, some of his um, statistics were found printed in a newspaper much later on. And they had him uh, rushing for, in 1912, over 1,800 yards. Uh, but the final two games were missing. And those final two games, they think he probably easily crossed a 200-yard barrier, and that would make him the first ever 2,000-yard um, rusher in football. Um, but there was not, there's no proof of it. And the, yeah. so the first official rusher to rush 2,000 yards was um, someone well-known, but for different reasons. Well, later on, it's like different reasons. And that was O.J. Right? Simpson. OJ yeah, Simpson. That's what I thought. So O.J. Simpson achieved the goal in 1973. That was 61 years after Jim Thorpe, Jim Thorpe probably did it. So it's another Crazy. example that we'll get to a lot in the podcast. This guy did so many amazing things on the athletic field, and he just didn't get credit for it yep. until after the fact. Yeah, I mean, and even in the news, um, he was often referred to as, you know, the red man tries yeah. this, the red man does that. Which is um, crazy when you think about it. Like, that, that's what they're referring to him as. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is he's doing all these things, right? I mean, the Olympics that he goes in, right, is 1912. That's when he starts uh, qualifying for the Olympics, which we'll get to in a second. But um, Native Americans were not necessarily all considered American yet yeah, by 19. Sure. It wasn't yeah. until 1924, I think, when the United States officially recognized all Native American tribes and nations as American citizens. So a lot of people back then consider him like when he did make the Olympic team for the United States. They're like, well, is he really American? Which is insane. This is this guy is a Native American. Like he is the American. And the world was like, well, is he really American? Is there, you know, is this red man really American? That's what they refer to him as, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so the reason he even tries out and winds up, right? So he's playing college football, like you said, he's he's racking up 
all these you know accolades. This guy's ridiculous. And the college is just still the same school, right? He's still at uh, Carly. Carly. I can't yeah. So he wants to be a professional athlete, which at the time was not very common. Nowadays, you hear kids say, oh, "I want to be a professional athlete," and again, they're they're focusing on one sport, right? I'm trying to get this yeah. lacrosse scholarship and trying to get this basketball scholarship, whatever that may be. He was just like, "I'm just going to be a professional athlete." And he we had a girlfriend at the time, and yeah, he wanted to that's marry the funny her. story. And the yeah. family's like, There's no, you're not marrying her, but there's no way you're going to make money. So he's like, well, I'm going to prove to you I can make money by doing this. I am a good athlete, so I'm going to go try out for the Olympic team. Yeah, he just walked on to try on the he Olympic team. To- he's like, I'm, I'm going to try out 1912 Olympic team. And he easily makes it. They're like, yeah, you're on the team. That's, that's Yeah, the- but this is the funny part about it. So he tries out his Olympic team to basically, like you said, impress his girlfriend and her parents. That's all. Like, there's no other reason. And he shows up to these trials, and he's never thrown javelin before. Right, and we're talking. You, you, we're talking. These are the best of the best athletes in the People United who States trained, who have trained. For this for yeah, years. like for years to try to he's make this team. Thorpe just shows up. He's like, all right, let, let me try this. Yeah, so I give him this javelin, right? And no one tells him again. This is a, kind of the whole racist part that you know going on with him being Native American. But no one tells him that you get a running start with a javelin. They yeah. just like hand it to him, and they're laughing. Ha ha! Yeah, go ahead, you know. And so he takes this javelin, and he's like, "What do I got to do? Just throw it?" And they're like, "Yeah." So he throws it without any running start and takes second place out of the best javelin throwers in the nation, right? Second place without first time he's doing it, right? Without any running start whatsoever. So he literally, and besides that, for when he was trying out, you know, he did a hundred meter dash, 200 meter mile uh, hurdles. I mean, he rocked it. And as you said, they're like, all right, like you're on the well, team. Some of the bro. times here, these, I found some of his times. These were not, I don't think these were necessarily his best times. These are just some of the ones that they were talked about. Basically, mm-hmm. he could run the 100 yard dash in 10 seconds flat, the 220 yeah. yard dash in 21.8, uh, 21.8 seconds. Um, he could run the mile in four minutes, 35 seconds. Yeah, so it was like four miles. The, yeah, I mean, four minutes. He do the 120 yard high hurdles in 15 seconds. Um, he could long jump 26. Uh, 23 feet, six inches. He could high jump six feet, five inches, pole vault, 11 feet, shot put 47 uh, feet, throw the javelin 163 feet and throw the discus 136 feet. This is all just like showing up. Yeah. And we should also, we should also mention the fact that that wasn't even his like number one sport. He, he was a football player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is just what he's what? like, all right, I, I, he's like, I can do this. Let me just. Yeah. I'll impress my girlfriend. So yeah, I, this, this is what I have to do for the Olympics. I have to do the decathlon, the pentathlon. Fine. I'll do it. So insane. Actually, no, it's funny. Um, <laughs> talk about trying to impress your girlfriend. I joined the um, high school wrestling team to try to impress a girl in high school. <laughs> and let me tell you, did that not well, work out for how me? How long did you stay down in high school? Um, well, <laughs> um, long enough, I guess, uh, to, I, I mean, I did survive and I, and I won two scrimmages and I got a free t-shirt and then she decided to say yes to going on a date with me. And then I quit. <laughs> but I'm married to her today, so all is well. You know, it all worked out. That's how it worked out. <laughs> I guess that worked out. <laughs> Trying to show you're a jock. Yeah, but uh, practice was rough, man. I mean, it, it hurt. So God oh, bless all those wrestlers. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, so I kind of, you know, I, I mean, I'm not trying to put myself in the same yeah, league so as, Thor- compare, as Jim Thorpe compare, right here. <laughs> so it's Jim Thorpe and then Pete Zablocki, right? That's like the one and two, more or less. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. So uh, so obviously I'm not trying to do that. Um. But yeah, so I mean, and a lot of these records you just mentioned, they were actually held at the Olympics as records for years until they um, will get to until they overturned a lot of his records. Yeah, committee. But even like, like when you look at unofficially the records themselves, I mean, no one ran faster. 
like his mile until 1960. You know, he did this in 1912. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's well, insane. Well, he, he competed in 15 individual events at the 1912 Olympics, and he won eight of them. Yeah. And he placed in the top four in all 10 events. So yes. he was, like, right there for all of them. And he um, his record of, I guess, all the points of 8,413 points would stand for nearly two decades. Yeah. Um, the Nine Olympic gold medals on a dude that this wasn't – none of these were his sport. He, he was just like he crazy he athletic. Showed up, yeah. He didn't even train for a lot of these. Um, yeah. Probably the most, one of the most impressive things that happened. I'm sure you heard this story about when someone stole his shoes at the Olympics. Yes. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. That's a great story. So he goes. He's getting ready to go and compete in the these events, um, and he found out that someone stole his shoes. And he was just right before he was getting ready to go compete because he he walked around barefoot. That's what he that's what he liked to do. So he yeah. found a pair in the garbage, mismatched pair. They were two different sizes from a trash can. Um, one of them was too big. He, so he put on a couple extra pairs of socks to make sure it fit better. By the way, there's a picture of this. You could Google this. There's a picture of them. He went out and he won the gold medal. Yes. With two different pairs of shoes on, um, from the garbage sizes from the garbage, from the garbage. So I was accustomed to, they said someone stole it. They actually said someone stole them, um, out of like jealousy and to try to be, you know, be racist, I guess, or prejudice, um, against them. That's one of the stories. Well, what happened back then is the, um, the, all the medals were given to the athletes during the closing ceremonies of the games. It's different mm-hmm. from that. Like after the event is over, you get them and stuff like that. Um, so Thorpe received, he would also receive these uh, challenge prizes that were donated by King Gustav of Sweden and also Tsar Nicholas II of Russia, which, you know, yeah. pull out the podcast on him yeah. for decathlon. Um, and um, apparently what happened was Thorpe got it from King um, Gustav, said, you know, you, sir, are the greatest athlete in the world. And then Thor- Thorpe's reply was just, thanks, King. So he was very like like humble type of guy and very just like, you know, yeah. down to the earth type of person. He just, he didn't think of himself as what he really was being this amazing athlete. Yeah. So he comes back, by the way, he gets the girl, FYI, uh, one of three, because he winds up divorcing her events. She actually divorces him because she says that he is so busy and never home and she divorces him later on. But he comes home to like a ticker tape parade on Broadway. I he, mean, he was, he was popular. Yeah. He was, I mean, again, nine gold medals. It's insane, right? All around champion, right? At the Olympic Games. By the way, these were the Olympic Games in Sweden um, in September of 1912. FYI. Um, he comes back. And then, you know, you want to get to the controversy? Well, basically, what the controversy is there was a lot of strict rules back then about amateurs. If you're in the Olympics, you're an amateur. That's the whole idea, right? You're not, you're yeah. not a pro athlete. This is different. If, this, if these were the rules, you would never have the, um, the dream team for like 92. That would be a cool yes. podcast too, by the way. Yeah. We should um, do that. Okay. Go. At some point, yeah. Because we're, we're sport guys now. No, anyway. Yeah, right. um, anyway, uh, it was basically you couldn't receive money or any type of um, what you were doing. You could have basically um, had to be, you know, you had a normal job and then you did this on the side. It was to protect against professionals coming in and taking over the Olympics. Um, so what they found out was that in late January 1913, there was a telegram. They published a story that before all of this, uh, Thorpe played professional baseball in the East Carolina League for the Rocky Mount, North Carolina um, in 1909, 1910. When, when he was in, in college. Yeah, yep. and he, he did receive money. He received. So, yeah, so he didn't play professionally. That was the thing. Yeah, so he got basically what it said is he got paid. They said he was playing professionally, but essentially what it came down to is he got paid to play. He got paid to play, but he got paid $2. Yes. Which, a game, which came out to about $55 today. Um, yeah. And college players, in fact, regularly spent summers playing this, but most of them used aliases. So what they would do is they would just make up names and put that down so they could never be traced. 
Thorpe didn't yeah. do that. No one told him. He didn't think to do that. And then when they asked him about it, it could be said, just say you didn't do it and that's it. It's going to just fade away. But he comes out and actually admits, no, he's like, I played. And he even writes a letter to um, the AAU, the uh, Amateur Athletic Union, um, yeah. and its secretary, James Edward Sullivan. And James Edward Sullivan was basically just took this case really seriously and was like, no, if you, if you are, if you receive money, you are not an amateur. You, so therefore you cannot have, you, you were not in a Olympic committee. You were not, you're not Olympian. And then he was stripped of his titles, his medals, and because they declared him a professional. And they took away his records. Yeah, yeah. That he held. And what we should also mention here is, is the fact that he did this, this was like a summer gig. So he played baseball. In that summer, for like you said, like two bucks, as like a part-time job. Like this wasn't a professional league. This was like, yeah. you know, hey, I'm getting paid to play because I'm in college and I need money, kind of deal. It was and, money. money. Yeah, and you know, ultimately, this kind of came to bite him in the butt. Well, the positive thing, if there wasn't any positive thing for this, is that most people at home didn't really care. Yeah, like they were like, he's still Jim Thorpe. He's still this amazing athlete, and he's like, all right, if I'm a professional, fine, I'm professional. And then a lot of people, a lot of uh, professional sport clubs started offering him contracts. Yep. And that's when he becomes a professional athlete. football, baseball, and everything. Yeah. So I guess his dream comes true. And we should also kind of get to this. I guess we could get out of the way. Um, he is eventually given these medals back. I mean, not the real medals. Those actually have gone missing. Did you hear that? Did you read yeah. about that? Yeah. So they had him in a museum, his original medals from 1912. And then ever since they kind of went missing. And to this day, no one knows where they are. However, in early 80s, um, the Olympic Commission did restate his medals back to him, um, and they gave them to his children because he was dead by then. Um, and what's also kind of cool is that once they erased him from the Olympics for these nine gold, gold medals, and they took the second place people and made them champions, all of those people that were in second place flat out came out and said in the 20s and 30s, like, no, Jim Thorpe is the champion, not me. Like, none of them took like accepted the fact yeah. that they were the moved up to first place. They're like, this is, this yeah. is, this is just ridiculous. So yeah. Yeah. They all stood up for him. So let's, uh, let's get into uh, some of the stuff he actually did, uh, you know, after he came back from the Olympics. Well, he on. becomes a baseball free agent first. Um, he yes. starts playing for the St. Louis Browns. He starts playing the National League, the New York Giants, the baseball New York Giants. when they mm -hmm. were still there. Um, I don't want to confuse you there, Peter. <laughs> no, no, I knew that. I knew that. Hey, hey, hey. Where, where do they play now? Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Oh, I don't know. They're <laughs> okay, <see. laughs> the San Francisco Giants now. Are they really? Yes, yeah. See, see, I didn't know that. The Dodgers, you said, playing Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Well, that I know. That I know from the last podcast that we that's did. Why the Met, that's why the Met colors are orange and blue, the Dodgers and the Giants. 
Really? No. So you learn something new every day. I think most people knew that, Peter. But yeah. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, Baseball free agent, you sure? All right. Um, So he also played for the White Sox, (laughs) and he's not playing necessarily the entire season. He's playing like 19 games, 20 games here and there, uh, just because he's doing other things. And people would come to see whenever they would they would announce ahead of time, "Hey, Jim Thorpe is going to play today." This day, Jim Thorpe is going to play. Then the gate receipts would actually, uh, and the the attendance would increase because people wanted to um, come. He he met uh, the Pope. During this time, he he met. Um, yeah, they did like a like a King George. They did like a world tour, right, with the Chicago White Sox, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. He was, um, he, he was basically like a celebrity that would also, and he could legitimately play. It wasn't like he just went up there like a ceremonial at bat or something like that. He could actually go in there and play. And there's actually a famous, um, it's called the double no hitter game between ten, um, Fred Tony of the Reds and Hippo Vaughn of the Chicago Cubs. And basically, both pitchers were pitching a no hitter through the nine innings, and Thorpe drove in the winning run in the tenth inning. That's how good he was. Like he he was, he, he knew what he was doing. He could go out there and play. Um, the problem is, he just didn't. He played very sporadically for baseball. Yeah. It, and just liked, so, just so you know, I know what you're talking about because my kid plays travel baseball, and I'm like kind of versed in what's going on now. So, okay, good. just saying. Just saying. But you didn't know that there was a San Francisco Giants team. Well, no. Those are just because I'm versed in the like rules of the game doesn't mean I follow every single team. Okay, we're just going to. You can edit that part out and make yourself. Uh... <laughs> no, that's this is staying. I'm proud of it. Okay. So anyway, he played. He played for New York Giants, the baseball. Uh, he does play for New York Football Giants later on too, the Cincinnati Reds and the Boston Braves. Yeah, and the White Sox with that with that tour that he does. Yep. And then um, when he does, so he's doing all this in like the 1917, between like right after um, the Olympics. So 1912, 13, up to, I would say, 1919, I think, right? Um, Although it says that he eventually, I think it was the Boston Braves in 1919. It was like his last uh, Major League Baseball. But then he does play in minor leagues uh, until 1922, just for some extra cash here and there. But meanwhile, while that's happening, that's where he also starts his professional football career. So he's actually playing for the precursor to the NFL, and eventually he does play for the NFL, um, while he's playing for Major League Baseball at the same time. Yeah, he's doing both. He was that first multi, multi-sport professional athlete. Signs with um, – who does he sign with first? This is the American Professional Football Association, right? APFA. Or the NFL, yeah. So yeah, he so signed um, with a team Bulldogs. called yeah, the Canton Bulldogs. Bulldogs. Yeah. Yes. And they win. He led them to championships in 1916, 17, and 19. He won, he won the championship. Yeah. And then this American Professional Football Association, the APFA, um, becomes the you know National Football League, which we know today as the NFL, two years into um, – like its existence. And, and actually Thorpe is, is nominated as the first president. Their first president. Um, Only served one season as their president, but technically yeah. Jim Thorpe, if that's kind of one of those jeopardy trivia pursuit questions, you know, who was the first president of the NFL and yep. it was Jim Thorpe and it makes yep. sense. Yep. And then, you know, once it became the NFL, then he, you know, as even as president, um, he still continued playing, right? He continued playing for the Bulldogs because they were one of the originals, uh, one of the original 14 teams. Um, that formed uh, the American Professional Football Association and eventually the NFL. Um, and then after that, where did he play after that? I felt like he played in a couple teams in the NFL. He did play for the 
But he played for the Bulldogs. He played for a team called the Orang Indians. He played for, which also the Cleveland Indians. He played for. Was it an old? That was like an old Native American team, right? Yeah, he played for, for NFL. He plays with teams. I saw the New York Giants and the Chicago Cardinals also. Yeah. Um, so all the shift and change over time, but these are the ones he played for. Yeah. So it says that he in NFL he actually never managed to play for a championship team. Um, all his championships in football came when it was still under the American Professional Football Association. Um, he retires from professional football at the age of 41, having played 52 NFL games for six teams total, right? Between 1920 and 1928. Imagine, like, he wasn't, I mean, 41? Like, again, I'm in my 30s. I can't get out of bed. I keep on saying that, but, like, I'm not kidding. He was naturally gifted, but he trained a lot, too. You can see some pictures, and he would train with a lot of methods that people would, I guess, use, like, pulley system weights and things like that. He would... um yeah tackle dummy uh, different types of like weighted um tackling dummies yeah. and you know, like a wire he would chase them so that so he knew what to do remember this is a guy who used to study how horses ran to run yeah. to run faster yeah he also during this time a lot of biographers did not know this until later on but during all this while he's you know a professional football and baseball player he also started playing basketball in like a professional basketball um in like a smaller league than essentially part of his team was the world famous Indians, right? I think it was a traveling basketball world, world famous Jim Thorpe Indians. Yeah. Yes. That's what it was. It was initially world famous Indians and then it became Jim Thorpe's world famous Indians. It's like a thing of a Harlem Globetrotters type of thing where they actually played. It was less like comical. Less. less yeah. Yeah. They actually played. Yeah. If you look at his later life, I guess he, he was kind of hurt by the thing that everyone was remember he stopped playing football in, in 28 at the age of 41 and then in 29 is the infamous stock market crash and the united the states as well as the world hits, yeah. yeah it goes so, into yeah he finds it kind of uh hard he struggles to provide for his family because he was so used to um working sport related jobs that he could never really hold these non-sport related jobs mm-hmm. for a long time um what he does do is he starts to get a job and he starts to become kind of a hollywood star Yes. Way, he's so popular so at first he's an extra in a lot of movies um he usually plays um he's being typecasted um he's playing he plays an american indian chief in a lot of westerns mm-hmm. um some other comedies he's plays himself you know, the speaking part and things of that nature he's um a kicking coach and some you know, he's always like a, some sort of sports star um and then in 31 he sells the rights to his life story to mgm for mm-hmm. fifteen hundred dollars yeah which is about $25,000 today. And then, um, and I'm pretty sure I also read somewhere that, um, MGM's, uh, like boss gave him like a, basically like a $2,000 cash, you know, bonus. Like, Hey, thanks for doing that because they felt bad for him because he really had no money. Gave him a $2,500 donation, um, annually. So yeah. he would get it all yeah. the time, um, for him to be like the public head of the studio. So basically go around, talk, talk up the studio, talk up MGM. All right. We'll yeah. pay you $2,500 a year to do that. Um, and in the movie that he came out with in 1951, um, it's called Jim Thorpe All-American starring Burt Lancaster, what was a success. Yeah. They used a lot of archival footage from the 1912 Olympics. Um, uh, also in the 1932 Olympics, because Thorpe was actually was an assistant coach um, in, that, in, in that Olympics. I didn't know that, really. Yeah, he, was, he was an assistant coach in the 1932 Olympics. So again, he, hmm. he was barred from competing, you know, his records didn't stand, but you know, he needed money. He needed something. He did love sports. He loved that competition. They called him, by the way, uh, around the world. He was known as man of bronze. Yeah. That's what he was particularly in the United Kingdom. I believe. Yeah. Yep. I guess that, 
I mean, I guess that was in reference to his skin color, right? That would be my assumption. Yeah, I think, yeah. Well, that, yeah. I mean, again, it wasn't like a nice, uh, yeah. Um, and then things kind of start turning again. So Great Depression, and he kind of finishes the decade, right? The 30s until, you know, the 40s. Um, he works as a construction worker. He's a bouncer and security guard. Uh, he digs ditches. Um, and then he uh, does join the United States Merchant Marine, but only for a short period of time, um, uh, you know, the end of World War II. But the issue here, what really starts to hinder him is he becomes a chronic alcoholic, right? DDPs, I'm, I saw a lot of... I don't know, man. I saw a lot of conf- conflicting stuff about that. So I, saw, I heard that. I was like, I don't. And then I re- read a little bit more and then I, I some more um, different sources. And what they were saying is that that wasn't true. Like he was known to drink, but there was no real evidence that he drank excessively. That he was like an alcoholic. Okay. So like, I mean, they're saying that was more of, it was written, it was written at the time that he did become an alcoholic because that was kind of like the stereotypical, what, you know, Native American, they drink too much type of idea. Yeah, I could because see that. Thorpe, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but that's what I saw uh, and a couple of different things. I was like, I never really heard that before that he was, um, that he was an alcoholic, that he could drink, but just because of an athlete. They said, you know, he was an alcoholic. He never really trained because he didn't train publicly, but everyone who, who was on a team with him said, no, he was up at the crack of dawn. He would wake you up too. And you had to go train with him. Like he understood that. Um, but a lot of it was, he, he, he experienced a lot of racism because of, he was Native American. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, you, now that you say that, it makes absolute sense because he was still competing, you know, even before that. And they said the first accusations of him drinking started when he was he was still an athlete. And I highly doubt he would continue being a top athlete if he drank every single day. Someone saw him with a beer. Oh, he look, he's drinking all the time. And yeah. he also wrote that he, he lived in a trailer on his life. And that's true. He did live in trailer, but that was his what? I, that was like his, what number? Wife? Third wife. It was his third wife. They wanted to live in a trailer. They lived in a trailer yeah. because they traveled all the time. They traveled around the country. Yeah. He was an outdoorsman. He wanted to hunt and fish and do all that stuff outdoors. That's why they lived in a trailer. Yeah. He, yeah. Did, he, did he have the type of money that an athlete like him would have today? Nowhere close. If he was yeah. an athlete in today's standards, his endorsements and what he could do, his contracts, forget about it. Just, yeah. just forget it. He, he'd be the highest paid athlete. Forget about Jordan, LeBron. and It would be Jim Thorpe. Um, but because of when he was and the racism he, he experienced – but a lot of stuff came – there was a lot of like myths written about him like, oh, look, he's just this Indian, gets drunk, lives in a trailer. He wasn't a drunk. He did live in a trailer, but he chose to live in a trailer because yeah. he was driving around the country hunting and fishing. And uh, he, want, he always wanted to do that. He was an outdoorsman. And he, that's something he did up until his last days of life. He basically did that. Yep. And, uh, and talk about last days of life. Um, he contracted – well, he got lip cancer, right, in 1950. And it became a charity case, apparently, because he literally had no money for the procedure. So, um, and they said it was a little bit of that was his third wife was kind of just playing up the whole, hey, give us money, because she kind of wanted him to continue to make money. And he was kind of done with this whole the fame aspect, but she really wanted the fame. So she went and had his big press conference, and he's like, he's got cancer. We need money, please. He, we're broke, blah, blah, blah. But they said he wasn't necessarily broke per se, but he, yeah, he did yeah, pass. He was, he, was, he was getting money. He could always, he was making public appearances and speeches. Yeah. He was still a famous icon. People knew who he was. He, his name had value. He had value as that. Did, could he make the type of money that he probably could have made? No. And one reason was because he didn't care. He was, he wanted to be the outdoorsman. He's like, I did my sport stuff. I enjoyed that. Now I just want to, you know, travel. He had the money to do that and be an outdoorsman, hunt and fish. And that was really what he wanted yeah. to do. And uh, so in early 1953 is when he essentially has heart failure, right? Um, 
it was they said it was the third time he was having like a heart attack um and this time around they briefly revive him um but you know so they say he speaks a couple words but then he kind of loses consciousness and he dies um from this heart failure on march 28th at the age of 65 march 28th of 1953 but that's not the end of his his story though no so let's sorry so let's talk about some of the legacy aspect well, before we get to the legacy, we could this controversy just with his body. Oh, right? this this body, huge. Well, because yeah. his wife technically steals the body. Patricia, his wife Patricia, yeah. wants to be buried in Oklahoma. That's where he yes. was born. That's where he lived his early lives. But she wants the um, she wants Oklahoma. Um, she wants the state officials to essentially build him a monument. Mm-hmm. And they say we're not going to do that. They say no, we're not doing that. So yeah. she essentially auctions off his remains. And yeah. there's two small towns in Pennsylvania, uh, Mockchuck and East Mockchuck. And they say, say listen, there's about 5,000 people total, right? Yeah, in both um, towns. <laughs> in both towns. We'll merge our towns together, call ourselves Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, and we'll build a, mon- um, a monument, a mausoleum to hold his remains. And she agrees. And about yeah. a year after he dies, that's where his remains are moved to. And they expected it to be like this major tourist attraction. It didn't really turn out that way. Yeah. Um, and his, his first wives and his other children were really upset about this. And in like the fact that their dad's body was auctioned off and he wanted him, you know, buried in Oklahoma and they actually sued to get the body back, his descendants in 2010 and they yeah. won, but it was overturned in 2014 and the remains are still there in uh, Jim Thorpe, uh, Pennsylvania, which is, um, you know, it's right across the border. It's a small town. I don't know if you've ever been there, Pete, or not. Well, you know what's interesting? Jim Thorpe is ne- was never there. Well, that's the thing I was going to say. Yeah, he was never there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. they tell you that, too. That's the, they, yeah. they tell you that in, there, um, in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Um, I remember I used to always go whitewater rafting there. They have a lot of whitewater rafting, paintball courses. And I would go there when I was younger. And you get on the bus, and it would be like, I guess, like the guy from the, the rafting place as you're driving to the uh, rapids would give you like kind of a background Jim Thorpe, like a little history lesson. And he's been like, you know, a lot of people think he was born here. That's what they feel now. But he was never born here. And he's, he never even set foot once in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. But right. here, he, that's where his remains are buried. They have a big statue to him and stuff like that. They're like, well, you know, Oklahoma didn't want to honor him. We'll honor him. And some people in Oklahoma did want to honor him. There, there, was, out, there was outrage when they- Yeah, the governor said he's not, because they needed like $25,000 or something for the monument. And the governor's like, yeah, we're not spending taxpayers' money on that. So the wife's like, oh, yeah? Boom. Yeah, I'll go to New Jersey. I'll go to Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. there. Like, wait, wait, he was um, never there. It doesn't matter. They're paying me for it. So. Yeah, which is insane. So, yeah, the case actually made it to the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court refused to hear the matter. Um, this was in 2015. You know what? We should go to Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. I want. I kind of want to check this out. It's not now. far. Yeah, we'll go. Small town. Let's do this. Um, so let's talk about some of his honors. You want, you want to kind of talk about some of the honors? Like, I mean, he got a lot of them post-death, right? Besides, yeah, he- obviously, a town named after him. There's a town named after him. Um, I saw that in even recently, as July 2020, there's actually a petition to get a um, film made about Thorpe. Um, and it's also calling upon the IOC to reinstate Thorpe as a sole winner in a lot of the events in 1912. He got his medals back, mm-hmm. but the, the other people are still listed as winners in those events. Yeah. Yep. And they're saying, no, 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 that, that has to be overturned. That you actually have to, he, ha- he should be the sole winner of every event that he won in the 1912 Olympics. So that was one thing that they're uh, talking about. I remember in the turn of the century in 1999, the Associated Press placed him third on the top athletes of the century. Mm-hmm. 
right behind uh, Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan. And I, I, I understand that for popularity, like Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan, but I don't know um, if even they would probably say Thorpe was a better athlete. I think there is proof that Ruth actually said that at times. And they said, yeah. you're the greatest athlete of all time. He's like, I'm the, he's like, I'm, I'm a good baseball player. I think he mentioned, he says that in one of his uh, interviews or, or something that Jim Thorpe, that yeah. he is actually the greatest athlete he's ever, he's ever known. They weren't around, they were alive at the same time. They, so, you know, they were yeah. aware of one another. Yeah. I mean, ESPN, right? It says ranked him um, seventh on the list of the best North American athletes of a century of all time, I guess. But I, I want, I'm curious who the first, you know, if he's seventh, who the first six are. I mean, if we're talking about the best North American yeah, athletes. The, the first one was uh, Jordan and Ruth. Jordan but again, Ruth. like you said, I mean, I mean, Jordan dabbled a little bit in baseball, but this is, I mean, it comes by when it comes to athletics again. And accomplishments in those sports. It's not like he just participated in them, right? He won yeah. them. He won them. Yep. Um, oh, so he was medal. inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1963. He's also in the College Football um, Hall of Fame. So he's a lot of those things. Um, President Richard Nixon authorizes a proclamation April 16, 1973, as Jim Thorpe Day, right, to recognize what yep. he did. Again, years after his death, uh, yep. they put stamps on him. All right, uh, they celebrate. You know, Jim isn't there like a Jim Thorpe Award or something? It's a, a college it's, football. It's award? given um, to the best defensive back in college football every year. Yeah. There's also the the uh, Thorpe Cup, which is also given to one of the um, best athletes in college, like overall athletes. It's named after him. He was on a dollar coin, I'm pretty sure. Well, it was, but it was like he shared it with somebody. It wasn't like Sacagawea uh, on one side. On, yeah, it was featured in um, 2018, yeah. and um, he was on one side, and the other side was Sacagawea. Yeah, yeah. I actually talked about Sacagawea today in class. I was doing Lewis and Clark. I was I was kind of checking if they were paying attention today on Zoom. My students, so I was like, yeah. So Lewis and Clark and uh, and Pocahontas, you know, they you know, when they said you know out west, and I like I stopped, and I was waiting. And not a single person, not a single person corrected me. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm a failure. What is happening? So I was like, everyone unmute right now. I'm like, what did I say? And they're like, uh, Lewis and Clark. And uh, I'm like, oh, Sacagawea guys, Sacagawea. All right. Come on. Come on. Not Pocahontas. Anyway, sorry. I had to go. Teaching, little, teaching. A little bit of a rant there, but fair enough. <laughs> well, I mean, history teachers talking, right? We are history teachers. I, we did teach history today. You taught history this morning. I taught history this morning. We taught history. Anyway, so what are some fun stuff about – what are some things we might have missed about uh, Jim Thorpe? I think we got most of these. Cool well, we things. were talking a lot about him, but obviously, you know, when we decided to do this, it was we were actually really excited just because of what he, you know, accomplished. And I think he was um, just – I don't know how much people really know about him now. You know? That's the problem. I don't think people really know about Jim Thorpe. Like I do remember my dad talking about Jim Thorpe when when I was younger. He'd be like, "Oh no, he's like these guys. He's like the best athlete of all time was Jim Thorpe." I remember my dad. I remember my dad saying that. Yeah. To me, when I was younger, and that's how kind of I became kind of like aware of him. And then obviously, when I would go to Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, for those rafting trips, I became somewhat aware of it. Um, but yeah, just the things that he was able to do, like I just in all of like if he was alive today, how huge he would be. And he was a very humble person too. Yeah, they said like, he was extremely like, humble. He yeah. came back in nineteen twelve Olympics and everyone's cheering and saying, you know, chanting his name. He's like, I didn't know his quote was, I didn't know a fella could have so many friends. Yeah. <laughs> Nuts. Like, he was just like, you know. Um, but he did have um gum. He was one of the first athletes to have um gum named after him. It was uh his um Jim Thorpe Sports King Gum. 
Yeah. So he was put on those sorts of things. So I just saw it. that signed wrapper for that come for like a thousand dollars on eBay. Of what, Jim Thorpe? Yeah. Pretty high right. All right. Well, so that's Jim Thorpe. How do we come up with this topic again? I think you were the one. You're like, hey, why don't we do Jim Thorpe? And I was like, oh. Anyway. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for uh, tuning in again. And uh, please do not forget to uh, subscribe wherever you do listen to this podcast. Um, it does make it much easier for others to find our podcast. If um, Give us some feedback. A, Let us know what you think or any, yep. I, any topics you might want us to try to explore or tackle in the future. We appreciate that. Yep, absolutely. So thank you so much, guys. And uh, until next week, enjoy. Stay safe. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecle, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts.